Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're continuing our episode that we were talking about last week. Yes. Which is. Oh, you're asking me? <laughs> which is. Uh, I ask you because you keep telling me the title is something different than what I said. Right. I think you just came up with a title. No, I said the title. We had, we had written it down as how role playing games have changed from the 70s and 80s to now. Oh, yes. That sounds good. Okay, so I think we left off with Cyberpunk. Yeah, we were talking about Cyberpunk uh, and how it was a little bit different than most games in the in what it's what it was about. It wasn't about collecting the most stuff. It wasn't about going up in levels. It was about being a punk, right? Being this person who wasn't gonna go with society. It could be profane and say. You know, Say something like, you know, flipping off the man while trying to thwart the man, even though you don't have a chance of beating the man. Right. And the idea that the characters were were all about. They were anti-heroes. Yeah, in a sense, true. But they were also were about how they looked. It was about style over substance. So it was a very interesting game. It was very, what do you call that when people are really disassociated with the world? I don't know if there's a word for it, but anyway, so there were there were punks, right? That's what the whole punk movement was about. They were they were going against the grain of society, and cyberpunk was that in in a world of uh, this dystopian, is that how you say it? Dystopian, dystopian, uh, corporate controlled world. They were people who were thinking about free thought and doing what you wanted instead of kind of like the way we live the, today, towing the line. <laughs> Uh, are we cyberpunks? I don't know. I don't know no, no. That. <laughs> I didn't mean us. I meant the world controlled by corporations. Well, it's getting there. I think it's getting there. But I think uh, we still got a shot of keeping our our, our freedom. freedom. Our freedom. <laughs> like William Wallace shouting up into the sky. So we were talking about 80s games. I think we talked about Shadowrun. And I was about to talk about, uh, I did talk about cyberpunk. And I was going to talk about uh how games had changed from from the ways they were to these more collaborative games, and they were more uh, more player agency. So in 1991, here comes Vampire the Masquerade, and totally changes what RPGs is about in my eyes, because you weren't playing the good guys, the heroes. You weren't. This wasn't this heroic fantasy or heroic science fiction. It was you played monsters, vampires, and you didn't play the hunters hunting the vampires. You played the vampires. So they have a totally different world view of, as a vampire, you have a totally different world view. Of, it's more of a court intrigue game, right? Right. So it's all about hierarchy within the vampires. It's about court intrigue. It's about all kinds of things that is not normal, wasn't normal in the 80s or 70s. So it really changed the way people played and... It was very, it was very easy to fall into this idea of playing a part outside, uh, away from the gaming table. So it really inspired a lot of people to LARP, which was live action role playing. Uh, Vampire was, I guess, for whatever reason, it was easily adaptable. Or people who who wanted that experience did a lot of LARPing. They would go to these public parks, garages, anywhere they could find a space, and they would play which probably freaked out the local people who had those people around them. 
Well, every year in the 90s when I went to the Dundracon with you, oh, yeah. they had the werewolf people outside. <laughs> yes. Yes. And right. So that was in yeah, that was in the 90s, late late 90s. So yeah, so along with vampire later on came werewolf the, the I forget what werewolf tagline was. You know, vampire had the masquerade. And so when you have these kind of games that are very unlike previous role-playing games, it really changes what you're role-playing. It changes what game is about. Instead of, like I said, instead of these heroes killing monsters, taking gold, and advancing in levels. It was about different vampire sects or yes. or courts, right? And even the vampire, even, even later on uh, with werewolves, they have different tribes. Right. They have, you know, the, I forget, I forget what the tribes are. I and my brother did not play those games. But there were other games in the 90s that you did play. Feng right. Shui. Feng Shui came out in the 90s. Yes. And so I think when you have these, when you when you have like something like Vampire Masquerade coming out in 1991, it really like people go, wow, we could make a role playing game about anything. And it really blows people's minds. And I think, and these were companies that were, it wasn't TSR. It wasn't anything large companies, even though, honestly, TSR wasn't a large company, you know, by by company standards. But it was a main player in the ninety in the in the 80s. 80s. And uh, later, when Wizards of the Coast bought them, they were still the big RPG producer. And the other RPG producers like GDW and who made uh, Traveler and games like that. Now we had people who were just starting out they just started out a company and we're making a go of it and i think it's a little different when you have that kind of a mentality you know i think there are people who in the in the early early 90s were trying to they really believe that they could make a game publish it and be successful and a lot of companies were like look at uh, the people who made vampire who made vampire right who published who, vampire who made vampire i'm asking you oh oh yeah you asked me who made vampire oh my god uh white wolf publishing there was the people who made vampire they were really successful i mean they were so successful they kept coming out with new stuff because people wanted more of that kind of role-playing experience it's always interesting depending on how old people are because when i when we yes. go to conventions a lot of people tell me oh that's what i started out playing right. was vampire and and white wolf games right yes and i'm like oh okay well I never got to play those because my husband didn't like the didn't like the genre and it just never happened. <laughs> right. I even asked my brother the other day. I don't know. We were online talking to each other, and I go, "So how come we never we never bought Vampire? We never." He goes, "I didn't like the idea of it." Yeah, he's very influential in our gaming lives. Well, there's that. There's, <laughs> there is that. But he's also very goody two shoes, right? I we talked. I've talked about him before. He's very moralistic. He was a Boy Scout both an Eagle Scout in, in the truest sense of the word. And he really believed in the ideals of what Boy Scouts uh, ideals are. So he's a very straightforward person. And, and the idea of playing vampires, just like me, it doesn't interest us. And so we never even played. In fact, we, we used to make fun of them even when we were going to. You shouldn't make fun of people, Saul. I know, but it was funny because we didn't understand what, what the attraction was to such a. Well, we thought you was do a, understand it now. Oh, now I do. It, yeah. It, sort of. <laughs> it was a it was a way to do court intrigue, something that wasn't fighting a yeah. lot. Like 
it wasn't just go and kill and take the stuff. It was you're always coming down on the murder hobo people, and now you're telling yes. me you don't understand the other side of okay, it. Okay, you're right. That that's true. No, no, I I do understand. Uh, but the, the whole idea of monsters, you know, you're playing monsters. But I yeah, guess yeah, it's never been a thing for me. It's like if you're gonna play the cops and robbers, do you want to play the robbers? Which is I don't because it's just like watching TV shows about bad guys who are the the shows that Augustine is watching now. What is it? Breaking Bad oh, Breaking and stuff like that. It's never been one of the attractions for me to see the bad guys, right? Right. Be the ones. Although the game like Leverage and stuff like that where you're playing con artists is a little bit different if you're helping people. It's more a Robin Hood game, right? And that's what that is. Yes. yes. And that, I and I own Leverage and I actually like the game. I like the show, but you're right. There, there are these people who are, but it's a redemption story, right? Right. All these guys are bad guys, but there's no redemption in vampire. They're vampires and they suck people's blood. Yes, I understand. There's no doubt about that part, and there's no going around that part. Which is which is why you and Felipe didn't like it. <laughs> and then Werewolf is the same thing, right? You're playing monsters, and I don't really know what Wrath the Oblivion is. I guess you play ghosts. I don't know. And then Mage Ascension, you play mages, which are super powerful humans. Probably going after, or I don't know if they're going after vampires, but supposedly vampires fear mages in in the in the. They must be pretty strong because vampires are very strong. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. So, so nineties nineties definitely was heavily influenced by by Vampire Masquerade and 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 the games that it was produced by that company, White Wolf. So when you when you look at what what White Wolf's games were about, they were totally different than D and D. They were totally different than than most other RPGs that were that had come out in the eighties and even still were coming out in the nineties. There was the Deadlands came out in the nineties. And that was for me, that was a game I did like and that's a game I did uh buy and play. And it was fun for me. And I thought, well, it's pretty interesting. You know, it was a it's a weird West, you know, and I, I really like Westerns. My brother was really into Westerns. And so we really liked that game, though we didn't really play it that much because I don't think I actually owned the game till much later. But we went to conventions and we played it at conventions, and it was a lot of fun. Is that the same? That's not the same system as the Weird War that you play too, like the World War Two Weird War one. Well, the Weird War is <laughs> it's kind of weird, <laughs> kind of strange, just to say. So Weird War was a. Uh, a supplement for D20. Okay. And then it became, I don't know, that game also, uh, it might have been Pinnacle, the same company who did the Savage Worlds or who did Deadlands. They decided to make it for Savage Worlds. And uh, so what happened was Deadlands was a, was a die system and all this other stuff. And then the person who owns it, which is, uh, my God, I forget who it is. But anyway, the person who owned Deadlands and was uh, publishing Deadlands came out with he wanted to make a a game that was a little bit easier and was faster and he came out with Savage Worlds which was more of a generic system Gareth Hanneran I thought you were going to tell me who his name was Pinnacle you got that part right Uh, the original game was yeah I just had to say the S and you got it. Yes. So you already knew. I already knew his name. I just couldn't quite come up with him. So Shane Hensley came out with Deadlands and then he thought about changing it and he came out with 
Savage Worlds, but Savage Worlds was just a system of which you could apply almost any setting you wanted on top of it. And that was really popular. And in that in that period, that's when he came up with uh, Weird War for Savage Worlds. Oh, well, it's kind of like this. So it is like Deadlands. Yes. Because it's the same. It's the same supernatural weird stuff going on. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And, and, and a, that's a, always it, been a. I mean, ever since you saw Indiana Jones, right, where they're oh, where, yes. where you're where they're trying to you know keep the, the Ark, of, Ark the of the Covenant yes. away from the bad guys, the Nazis. The Nazis. Yes. I mean, Weird War. I've just I haven't played in it, but I or maybe I did play in it once with you guys. But I've listened to you guys play it many times, where you're you know you're the you're trying to keep the mad Nazi scientists right. from creating monsters or I, I killing did, their monsters once they've created them i did run it but i ran it using a totally different system it was okay so so weird wars was a d20 uh supplement which we should talk about soon uh, soon because it was uh part of the ogl mm-hmm. but anyway so i so but deadlands came out in the 90s right and weird war must have come out a little bit later right i think deadlands came out I think 92, 93, 94. So another game that came out that I really liked in the 90s was Feng Shui. And it was super different for me because it was like, it was super light in a certain sense. The game mechanic was a D6 positive, a D6 negative. You roll them, you add the results, or you get the results, and then you add your skill to it. And you have to defeat a certain number. And it wasn't meant to be... What's funny about it, it was intentionally not to be simula- simulationist. It wasn't supposed to mimic real world. It was supposed to mimic action Hong Kong theater type movies. Mm-hmm. And so in the, and in that sense, it was perfect, right? Because you could do, it, it invited you to do all these fantastic feats of... Uh, it brought uh, player agency a lot, right? right? Where you could create what you needed in the situation where you were. Whatever you could think of, if it... Whether it was plausible or not, it was a movie kind of game, right? And in movies, everything is plausible. Yes. Depending on the film. And when I read the introduction and it had some ideas in it that were, at the time, really alien to me. They said, it said, you know, don't uh, don't make maps. Don't use miniatures. Use de- basically telling you to use theater of the mind, even though I don't think he used that term. And uh, it was very difficult for me. I told you before that it was so difficult for me to, to understand that kind of play because I've not used it. We always use miniatures and just to help me and help the players or help me as a player understand where things were. Well, even the last time we played Feng Shui, <laughs> your brother said, we need to have a, we need, I need a map. I need to know where we are <laughs> <laughs> just so I can orient myself. Yeah. Description. You know, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm not very good at description. That is a big problem in a theater of the mind kind of game. But that was a, a kind of a, a changing. There was also, a, a, I mean, a changing of ideas, right? Instead of the simulation, it was going to theater of the mind where you're you're doing more player agency. Players get to help you with the story and things Correct. like that. And I, and I fall back again to Vampire the Masquerade because Vampire the Masquerade, you don't really need miniatures, right? Right. Because... You're not going to fight a lot of stuff. There's not going to be any tactical fighting. Although I would say that when you move vampire into a LARP situation, it's a big map, right? A big, a big giant map, and you are the pieces, well, right? it's or more, you're the miniatures. But it it seems to me. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's I've, never, what, I've never played Vampire Masquerade, but 
because it's all court intrigue it's all about it's like it's like a Jane Austen novel it's all about the dinner parties and it's all about the the estate uh, uh, the well, not the estate but the the court the state parties right yeah. like if you go to a uh, I don't know it's about rank, rank and where and you stuff. fit in so, and what's going on so LARPing just found naturally because you're just gonna be around asking people talking to people trying to figure out stuff and trying to get curry favor trying to get information or trying to extort people for or if with information so all that you could do just standing around talking you know in a dinner party and so it I think that's why it was so easily adaptable to LARPing and that's why a lot of vampire games that I remember seeing were like half tabletop or at least it was tabletop but a lot of it was like LARPing in a sense and I, and I think that's like you know, that's a huge change in role playing games because I wasn't into that you know I had it all seemed really foreign and I think a lot of people loved that part of it and if you look at people who came into RPGs in the 90s like you said oh I for my first RPG was Vampire the Masquerade I'm like wow and there's people who loved that game and played it a long time so there was also the you have written down fudge okay so fudge I think is important because it has it has changed with you know, fate used fudge ideals and it still exists today you know fate core and fate accelerated use those same principles that were used in fit fudge back in 1992 now i didn't come across fudge in 92 i didn't come across fudge till much longer i think it wasn't until almost 2000 that's something you're gonna have fudge. to explain it to me because all i know is that there are fudge dice that i've seen you guys play with <laughs> so that's it i mean it came out with there was the intriguing idea is the same thing in fate is that there's no set attributes right there's no strength or wisdom you you were given a description just like fate you know i am strong as a bull or i am xanos the strong man of the circus right and so that was your attribute okay and so you would come up with these things to that would describe your character and then in, in playing anytime that description would matter you would you would get bonuses to your die roll to try to accomplish things so it was l much more open-ended than uh what let's say a Dungeons and dragons game where you were tied to the attributes that that they had come up with here you could come up with your own attributes and basically make almost any kind of character you wanted or yeah any kind of character you wanted simply because you're describing the the characters built on descriptions and not a on descriptions you come up with and not about things that other people came up with you gotta assign this attribute a number yes we could talk about that later but that's a very <laughs> that is a concept that obviously changed the way you can think about role-playing games right where instead of going by the numbers which i'm not saying is a bad thing because i like those numbers um <laughs> you have descriptions which really brings in even more thinking of Oh my God, I'm having a solemn moment. Um. <laughs> Thanks. So I'm gonna. I think I think what you're talking about is, at least for me, is when you are playing a character that a traditional character that has attributes. Sometimes you limit yourself to what you think those attributes mean, like strength. I have a, a twelve strength. Then you're limited to. So you have in your idea, your mind that you can only do this much with your strength, right? Right. right. And then skills come out in the same in the same fashion. But when you just have a description, 
I think there's a little bit more leeway in what that means, right? And you in your imagination of right. what it can do. And that was what I was looking for, imagination. Yes. Also, when you're playing, you're like, oh, this applies, right? This applies to this situation. And you could argue, not argue, but you could discuss that with your GM and say, well, yeah, see, as strong as, as, as you know, Maxwell, the strong man from the circus, you know, it applies to this situation because of whatever, and, or whatever situation you're in. And then you can have that dialogue with the GM and, and the GM can scratch their head and go, okay, yeah, you're right. It, I, I can see where it applies. When it's so codified, like Dungeons and Dragons, like, oh, no, see, the rules say this. You can only attempt this if you're trying to, you know, jump a, a 50-foot cavern. It doesn't say anything about holding on to the fingertips at the edge of the, the cliff and stuff like that. So, I mean, you can, you make, you're making the judgment calls, or you can, but people who like to play rules as written, they're really pigeonhole their character into a certain set of rules that they can. That's can where a do. good GM comes in and, and allows it. Well, at least gives you a rule. Yes, or, and. Or does something, yes. So I think Fate, I mean, Fudge, which later Fate basically used Fudge as its base. And Fate has run, as, I forget, I don't even know who may, came up with Fudge. But Fate, which is now controlled by evil hat you know they have a lot of games that come out with it and they've uh, have been really successful so i think that's I mean, that's one reason why i put fudge in the in the series in the set of games in the 90s that were influential so let's move on to 2000 because that's where things really start getting interesting well in the late 90s was more of a of a a lull for role-playing games as in the fact that they weren't selling a lot of supplements and things like that. Right. Well, D and D, right? D and D had came out with second edition. It started. Uh, sales weren't uh, increasing; they were decreasing. And Julian said there was a lull in the number of RPGs coming out. There was a lull in sales, and people were thinking that you know this fad of of RPGs was starting to become to an end. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Which was totally not true, but <laughs> <laughs> no, <clears throat> but that's what that was the that was the idea or that was the feeling that people yeah. were having simply based on sales. And we've talked about it before, but I don't remember when I, we talk about all kinds of stuff. But we've talked about when the open gaming licenses right. So D and D comes out in two thousand fifth fifth edition third edition, and it comes out with this crazy idea of OGL or yeah the open gaming license. Which was put forward by Ryan Dancy, who was working for Wizards of the Coast. He was the brand manager of Wizards right. of the Coast. So what's interesting is, is that he got a lot of fight back. I mean, I can imagine in some boardroom, <laughs> right? And he comes, well, let's make it free. And they're like, what the heck are you talking about, <laughs> right? And 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 the and the free part is not really free, but you're free to come up with your own stuff and brand it with Dungeons and Dragons with the with the system with the system and so people were so OGL it's open gaming license and there's different OGLs right there's certain OGLs that you could uh, only use uh, the mechanics but you can't use any information inside it's basically the D20 system right, right. it's basically All D20 the, yeah. and you couldn't and you, and you couldn't replicate the at least the original OGL which I think OGL 1.0 was says that you couldn't recreate anything that was inside the player's handbook, the GM's guide, or the monster manual. Right. Right. So, so, so this but, made people go crazy and put out all kinds which of started stuff. the D <laughs> the D and, it, and they say, well, if you if you do all that and you you play by the rules, you could put this little 
symbol that says D20 compatible or something like that. And people did go nuts and made all kinds of stuff. It was the D20 revolution, right? And and so much so that people were like, anybody who could put out a book came out with a D20 supplement from different genres to arms guides. Like D&D didn't have guns. Well, you know what? Let's put guns in D&D. So they came out with an arms supplement and they came out with settings. There was a ton of settings, you know, and it was very interesting time there was some stuff that was actually very interesting and there's some stuff that wasn't very well balanced and just was that wasn't very well balanced and was just uh game breaking in a sense and but but what it did do is it, it gave people the idea of that it was that it could be successful because a lot of people sold a lot of stuff and it made D the original rules very popular third edition third edition was pretty popular and yeah and it sold quite well and this idea that that role playing was coming to an end kind of kind of went away well yeah other other game other people thought about this OGL and they're like oh yeah that makes sense and later on other games started doing the OGL or started implementing it thinking that oh that's a good way to go uh games that did OGL were like games like fate uh they have an OGL. They you know they say you know you can basically come up with anything, and uh, any you know any, any setting, genre any setting. setting, and and so OGL caught on quite a bit to the point where a lot of games these days, a lot of new games, they have that they have OGL uh, open gaming license attached to their to their properties. So that 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 was in the in two thousand two thousand right. So two thousand fade comes out in. Fate comes out in 2000, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Burning Wheel comes out in 2002, which is uh, another uh, independent type of game. And so when you have all these games that, that are embracing this OGL concept, you have people who are like, oh, I have an idea. And I'm not going to get hit with these copyright laws or, right. or lawsuits. And I can piggy myself, my piggyback myself to like Fate rules or the D&D rules or... Yeah, I think Burning Wheel was even might have been, might have been uh, OGL. So when you are ga- making these games, and let's say as, as an independent publisher, you can you can use D and D and you can use Fate, who are who are relatively successful, to help sell your game. So people go, oh, I know the Fate system. Oh, this uses the Fate game system. Oh, I would like to try it in this genre. This right. Space Patrol, Fate, you know, or D and D Space Patrol. Oh, I like to try that because I like to try a D and D game. Uh, I mean, a space game, and I already know the rules, and this is this is going to be fun. Well, then, um, what what was Pathfinder? I mean, I know it was Pia, Piazio or pa, how do you say it? Papazio. I have no idea. Everybody says it different. Anyway, the that. Um, because D and D came out with a fourth edition right. and well, three point five, and people didn't or three three. Well, Pathfinder is is a, a relic of the OGL, right? Okay. So what happened was uh, they came out with three point five D and D, and it did pretty well. And then at one point, I, I guess the upper ups at, at it was two thousand and eight. They they published a fourth edition. Right. So at at two thousand and eight, they decide well. We want to make a new edition, but it's not going to be OGL because we don't, we don't, 
they felt that they were losing business to all these other companies that were using the OGL license. So they go, well, we could publish stuff and we're losing money that of supplements that we can make. So they got rid of the OGL for fourth edition and they published fourth edition and they changed it. And then there was also, uh, according to different sources and people who interview other people in the business, Wizards of the Coast was trying to make, uh, was trying to appeal to new people, to bring new people into the hobby. Mm -hmm. And what a what a and what was hugely popular in two thousand seven, two thousand five was World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft was like millions of subscribers every month who paid money every month to pay to play and Wizards of Coast goes, man, we could if we could tap into those people, that'd be fun. And so fourth edition, now I've never really read fourth edition. I think I had a player's handbook but I never looked at it. And uh it was very geared toward that type of gaming mentality according to people I people who I played with Ian Ian ran a game. Oh. And it was very much you were like really really powerful at, even at lower levels yes right so you had like fighters had uh healing surges and you had and people either love fourth edition or they don't yeah, unfortunately <laughs> for was the coast a lot of people didn't and that's when pathfinder came along well uh, yeah so so the wizards of coast decided not to follow the ogl after 3.5 and piazzo was like there was all these people who were like oh you know obviously upset about it and Piazza goes, well, we'll keep it alive. We'll follow the OGL and publish Pathfinder. So they published Pathfinder, which was a had all the rules in one book. And unfortunately for Wizards of the Coast, it started outselling 4th edition by a large margin. And I think that just had to do with the fact that 4th edition wasn't wasn't popular with the old old school kind of players. They wanted the... Well, there were some critical mistakes they made, I think... Some people were like, I think the, the one of the biggest problems, and, and this seems to be across the board of people who I heard, I've talked to who played 4th edition and didn't like it very much. Now, people who liked it, I really don't know too many people who really liked it. Some people have said it was okay, but this was the main complaint about 4th edition. It wasn't the D&D that they remembered. Right. It wasn't the D&D that they had played before. Because they did something weird. Like, I think they took away the gnomes. They made them evil. Uh, there was no dwarves in the game. It wasn't a playable race. Uh, the elves, they didn't call them elves anymore. They call them a laundrin or something like that. And they split the elves into two different groups. And just weird stuff like that. And so to people who had played D&D before, it's like, this is not my not my D&D. And usually I, I tell people, well, who cares about your D&D? But it was enough of a not my D&D It was a people. shock to the system that they wouldn't do it. Well, now that, it was enough people who said it wasn't my D&D. I don't even like this. They <laughs> didn't buy it or play it. So one of the biggest factors that you could point to is that a lot of people were starting to play online. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and by, I don't know, by 2010, 2012, Pathfinder was killing, killing. Yep. Wizards of the Fourth Coast. Edition. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things you could tell is because I was playing online at the time on Roll Twenty, and Roll Twenty would give you their quarterly statistic report or something like that, and it would tell you how many hundreds of thousands of people were playing and what games they were playing, and they went down the list into the fractions of a percentage of what games were played, and Pathfinder was always at the top, and it wasn't. Even, <laughs> it was sad. It wasn't even. 
uh, second edition that was below Pathfinder or some other games, and then below that was uh, Pathfinder. I mean, uh, second, I mean, fourth edition D and D. So obviously, a lot of people didn't like it. Enough people were not buying it. They weren't making money. They weren't selling books. So they went back and went back, to, literally back to the drawing board and said, well, "How did how did we mess up this bad? Because D and D is our brand, and here's this company called Pathfinder that's outselling us in the fantasy game world." fantasy role-playing game world and at the same time as as that was happening indie games became really popular because you could do print on demand and pdfs and different different um ways to distribute the games right so uh apocalypse world came out in 2010 i think it was a and that was the start really the start of the indie revolution because people loved that game and then uh i think vincent baker barker the person who comes who wrote it said you can do anything you want with that system you can tweak it you can change it you can modify it and and people did do that and they really loved that aspect of the game and shortly after that there was the not only with their independent publishers but then the idea of self-publishing really started taking off there was this company called drive through rpg and there was another one called uh uh I forget, oh man i forgot what it was it was called but there was two separate entities that where you can get pdfs and they basically would if you could come up with a pdf you could sell it on their on their thing on their website and they would obviously take a percentage but you could literally get stuff published you know maybe not in print but you could sell stuff on this and then and then on this huge uh website and it got really popular and then i think at one point they both merged uh drive through rpg is the one that they kept the name and what they do is now they know that they have this site, this kind of like this corner market on the PDFs, and they can actually help you get stuff published. You know, they they give you tools to 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 write stuff, to to be able to uh, format books and stuff like that. And people, if you have enough drive, anybody who has enough drive or has enough uh, will, can make their own game, format it, write it, format it, and present it to RP, drive through RPG and sell it through. RPG drive through rpg whether you can you know make any money off of it is, is, is another story is another story because <laughs> there's so much stuff out there now i mean i have uh i have my pdf folder will tell you that there is a, a ton of stuff out there and unfortunately some of it i haven't even looked at i mean literally opened or downloaded we the won't files. discuss that but if you have the desire and you have the will you can do it and if if you're lucky you can it could catch on fire and there's been plenty of uh, games that do do that and they become really popular and of course th- through that sales that website drive through rpg and others are starting to do this is print on demand where obviously for a slightly larger for the fee of printing you can get that book published i mean printed and sent to you which is really cool I've heard that they don't come out exactly right sometimes, though, because of the of the formatting. Right, but I think when you uh, do that, they allow you to they give you a print or proof or something mm-hmm. like that, and so you can look at how it looks. And a lot of times they catch mistakes that you make, like, oh, they'll give you like an electronic print proof, right? They kind of give you a facsimile of what it's going to look like, and you can tell like it chops up into your cover book, and the format isn't quite right. And then they, they you can buy a print proof actual print and then you can look at it to see how it's going to look quite a few kickstarters that i know that go through print on demand because it's just cheaper 
than to print it in England and ship it to you, especially nowadays, or any place in the world. Uh, you could just go to wherever uh, they uh, drive through does print on demand, have it sent to you at a much lower cost than having it shipped from different places around the world. So that has really opened up uh, the world of RPGs because, uh, like I said, anybody can publish anything they want within some parameters. When that, when that happens is you have people who come up with almost any idea that they want, any genre, any weird idea, or I wouldn't say weird, but any idea that they have and put it to print, put it in electronic print and have it made. And I think that has really changed the way role-playing games are made these days. You know, there's still the traditional publisher and stuff, and they still put, put out books. Well, but, since D and D came out with fifth edition, it's right. totally well. I know, and then yeah, then the, to, I don't know if it's a surprise to people, but it it's, it seems like a surprise to me how popular RPGs are now, and I think a lot of it has to do with you know you cannot say that uh, fifth edition has not had an impact on it since it it is hugely popular, it is selling like crazy. I, maybe the pandemic helped too. You know, people can. <laughs> You know, they, they can, I'm stuck with four people at my house. You know, I'm tired of watching television. I'm tired of discussing books. I'm tired of this. Let's play Dungeons and Dragons. It's, I saw an actual play. It looked kind of fun or whatever. But it, it's it continuing to sell, you know, whether you blame Critical Role or you blame You don't uh, have to TV blame shows, anybody. Or, you know, or you <laughs> give credit to these shows that are actual plays and stuff or actors who are coming out of the closet after 20 years of playing. <laughs> You know, Stephen Colbert, Colbert's played, Vin Diesel, uh, Joe Magliano, and then people in Hollywood are coming out saying, oh, yeah, I played back when I was a kid, and it was a basis for this movie. And I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> That's crazy. But they didn't say that back when they were making those movies. Of course and, not. Yeah, but now it's like people in Hollywood play, so it's it's hugely popular. So the differences between the old games and new games, I think one is just a breadth of, genres and variety of type of games a lot a lot of new games they're more player facing this fact that players have more agency there's more collaborative you know there's more there's more rpgs now where there's no gm there's no dice and, the, and what, what, so you're playing, thinking what 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 is that and so the, it's more a game about telling stories literally tell, st- telling stories and that's much different than D D original D&D was or any game almost any game that came out in the 80s so there's quite an evolution there uh, who knows what the next big thing is going to be but obviously role playing games are hugely popular still we still play them all the time all the time even more so <laughs> during the pandemic if we missed any of your if you have a special game that you really liked and we missed it you could put a note in or send an email or put it on Facebook and we can talk about it. Right. There's way too many things to discuss about the differences between older games and newer games right. because there's just so many of them. Yes. So if we missed anything, it wasn't because it wasn't on purpose. It was just because there were a lot of stuff to talk about. Correct. So there you go. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul. Angeline. You have a good day.